You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. everybody. How you guys doing? So good to have each and every one of you here. My name is Cam Daly, one of the pastors here at CA Church, and I'm the campus pastor of Rail City Campus. It is so good to have each and every one of you here. Thank you so much. If this is your first time here, welcome. Uh, nice to meet you. Uh, if, if you've been here for all seven weeks of our existence, thank you. You're amazing. Uh, you have incredible church attendance, especially in 2021. So that's fantastic. Uh, Honestly, it is good to be with you guys. If you are new, we have walked through these last five weeks. We walked through a five-week series talking about the vision, the DNA, the, the major principles, I guess, of we as a church, of who we are. Uh, and we walked through all of those principles. It was a great foundation. If you're looking to get a, a little bit more knowledge into who we are as a church, you can actually go back and watch those messages. Uh, and, but today, I'm so excited to start a brand new series here at Rail City. It's going to go on for a couple of months, if I'm honest. Uh, and uh, it's going to take us all the way to, to Easter, but we're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians. This is one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, it is so good. It's a letter written from a prison cell. And uh, it's a fantastic book. I was surveying just kind of what some of the great theologians, the great minds of history have said about the book of Ephesians. Here's some of the things they said. Uh, there was a guy named uh, S.T. Coleridge. He called Ephesians the divinest composition of man. All right, the divinest composition of man. That's high praise. We believe all scripture is God-breathed here, so <laughs> it's not the divinest. But uh, anyways, uh, another person said, C.H. Uh, Dodd called it the crown of Paulinism. Okay, Paul's the author. If you're new to church, we'll talk more about him a little bit later. Raymond Brown said it, it's having the most influence on Christian thought and spirituality. Klein Snodgrass, he wrote the NIV application commentary on this, this very book. He says, the understanding of the gospel in Ephesians challenges us to redefine the superficial understanding of the gospel, which means good news, prevalent in our day. John Calvin considered it one of his favorite letters. And as I said, it's mine as well. He preached 48 sermons on it. So us spending 22 weeks is actually kind of modest, I guess, in comparison. Uh, and he wrote a 172-page commentary on this book and quotes it 275 times in his institutes. Daryl Johnson, a local pastor, theologian, uh, he, he serves at the Way and First Baptist in Vancouver. Here's, the way, here's what he said about Ephesians. And it, I, I, it really struck me when I read this. He said, if disciples of Jesus would just soak in Ephesians, working out its vision in the concrete realities of our 24-7 existence, the world would be transformed. The world would be transformed. And I heard him say in a message something very similar. He said, if we were to just live out this book, even just one church in every city, was to live out the words of this book, the city would be transformed. And that's my hope 
That's my prayer. That is why we are here in the city of Port Moody. As we surveyed the climate of Christianity in this city, as we surveyed the spiritual temperature, we said, we, we need a Jesus church in this city. And I love many of the churches that are in this city. I know many of the pastors. But some have gone astray. And we need to be a church that is fervently committed to bringing the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. No other message, as Pastor David said a couple weeks ago, any message that says Jesus and something, it's, it's betraying you. It's deceiving you. It's causing you to go in a direction and into a, a place that's going to lead to a place that actually is not life-giving and is not what Jesus meant for us. And so we're here to proclaim the gospel. And if one church... Just one church, Daryl Johnson says, would, was to live this out, it could change a city. And that is my prayer over these next 22 weeks is that we would begin to be a people who would soak in this book. We'd just soak in it. We'd allow it to transform us. We'd allow it to change us. Uh, and, and slowly it would begin to change our, our workplaces. It would change our families. It would change our city. The realities presented in this book give us a new way of looking at the diamond of faith, the diamond of reality, uh, of, of our life. I, as I was thinking about uh, the diamond, people say, you know, there's a hundred different ways you can look at the diamond. Ephesians gives us a new way of looking at it. And it, it got me thinking about when I bought my wife Jessica her engagement ring, okay? Uh, and so I was 20 years old. Okay, <laughs> we've been married for a long time, even though we're pretty young. Okay, I was 20 years old, and I went hunting for a ring. And so where do you go for a ring when you're 20 years old? You go to the mall, right? <laughs> so I went to the mall, like literally Coquitlam Center Mall, and I walked around to all the different ring stores, and I'm looking at all the rings, and I'm trying to find something in my price point. Of course, I don't have a ton of money. They say to save up three months' worth of, like, your pay for a ring, and that was even not that much, right, at that time. I worked at Starbucks as a barista on St. John's, okay? Like, yeah, you put two and two together. So uh, Starbucks employees are making like $17 an hour now. I was like, where was that when I was like 20 years old, right? But anyways, I, I go to the mall and I start looking around at all these different rings. And, you know, I end up coming to this one store and I find, you know, this one particular ring. And it wasn't the most expensive ring. It wasn't the most exquisite, uh, or, you know, or, or like just, it, it didn't necessarily like scream at you. You know what I mean? You've seen some rings sometimes, right? Like some uh, girls get engaged. It's like, yeah, I got engaged. You're like, oh, can I see the ring? You're like, oh, wow, right? Like it's like, that's a big diamond. Is that real? <laughs> it's, like, right? it's like, but I saw this ring. And what really struck me about it, it was, it was a really unique in the way that it was set, right? It had this tension setting, so it kind of held the diamond floating in place. There was a few diamonds on the band uh, on either side, and I thought it looked really nice, but there was one feature of it that I thought was incredibly unique, is that when Jessica would take it off her finger and she would look on the, uh, the inside of the ring, right below, right below the diamond, there was a, a drilled hole through the gold that gave this really unique perspective of the diamond that no one except for the owner could behold. Whenever it's on, on her finger, no one could see it, but when she would take it off, she could actually see this really cool and unique view of the diamond from below. I believe that this is what Paul is doing through Ephesians. He's giving us a unique window 
into our reality here on planet Earth. He's giving us a unique glance into who we are. He's helping us to see. He's drilling a hole through the metal of our culture, our theology, our worldview, our identity, our relationships. And he's showing that we have a new reality in and through this person of Jesus Christ. That no one has seen before and multiple times throughout the book he talks about this mystery. This mystery of the gospel that was being unfolded. And Ephesians gives us a glimpse into the mystery of the gospel and how it transforms and changes our life. Daryl Johnson called this, uh, describes it as an alternative reading of reality. It's an alternative reading of reality in a world full of alternative readings. Saying this is what life is about. And this is how we're called to live. And this is what we're called to do. He gives us an alternative reading of reality of what it means to be people who are in Christ. An alternative narrative, story, understanding of what it means to be human and what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ on this planet, even in 2021. And so I believe the theology and teaching found in this book will be incredibly foundational for us as we form a new community here at Rail City incredibly formative. And I'm so excited that we get to spend a number of weeks here. Paul prayed, and I am praying, that, that it would give us a new perspective. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, 19. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But he says this, I pray, and this is my prayer for us today. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? And so I'm inviting us as a community over these next few months to soak in this book. Would you read it in your spare time? Would you just, would you soak in the words? In fact, we've laid out the entire series for you in this, this book. You might have got it on the way in. And each week you could actually just spend a little bit of time in advance just soaking in that passage and saying, God, what do you want to say to me this week? God, what are you saying in this passage? I wonder what he means when he says this, that, that you could actually preemptively be ready. And I encourage you, if you didn't get one of these books, and, and in fact our ushers could hand one out to you right now if you put up your hand. If you didn't get one, you like one. Every single week is here. We have the passage on the left side. We've got a place for the big idea, for notes. And I encourage you that you'd be a note-taking people. Not that anything that I have to say is really that extravagant or great or, you know, notable. But the word of God is so profound that, that it's important that we take note when God speaks to us, right? Uh, and, uh, and so I encourage you. I encourage you. And if you want one of these, just put up your hand, like I said, to track with us, to take notes and soak in this book. Because if we do, I genuinely believe it can transform a community. It's one of the greatest documents penned by man, and I believe it can change Port Moody forever. And so, shall we begin? <laughs> Do we want to start? Week one of Ephesians. We're going to start by reading Ephesians chapter one, verse one and two. And if you're willing and able, would you please stand in honor of God's word? The most important words we're going to hear today. This is the opening greeting that Paul says to the church in Ephesus. And even the greetings got some nuggets for us today. And so let's read together. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. 
May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me read it one more time in the translation that's on the screens. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, we come before you today and we ask that you would speak to us through these words, this opening greeting. (laughs) I pray it would change us. I pray it would transform us. I pray it would renew us today. And so as we dig into just the background and the context of all of this, Lord, would it still speak to us in this day and this time? Would it transform us in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. It's interesting. It starts out with this. I, Paul. I, Paul. Who's Paul? (laughs) Many of you, if you've been in church, you've heard about this guy named Paul. But if you're new to church, you might not have heard his story. I want to walk us through it. He is the author of this letter. The book is actually Biblia. It means library, right? It's a library of books. And included within that library are a number of letters. Letters written to churches, letters written to regions, letters that are written to individuals. Uh, and many of the letters that are in here are actually Paul, they're, they're Paul's letters that he wrote to specific churches and settings and people Well. He was imprisoned for some of them. Paul is is the author of this letter. He's one of the most notable people in human history. Uh, Martin Luther called him the wisest man after Christ. Wow. He contributed more words to the New Testament, only second to Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts. Some have called him the second founder of Christianity. In fact, some have gone too far to say he is the founder of Christianity. He is responsible for the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. People call him the apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world, that he was the one primarily responsible of taking the word of God and bringing it into places throughout Greece and Rome and Asia Minor. He, he was, uh, you know, kind of came off as a pastor or theologian type, but his story didn't start necessarily that way. Paul wasn't actually born Paul, but rather he was born as Saul, uh, and uh, he, he was named Saul after, in honor of Israel's first king. He was thoroughly Jewish. He was thoroughly Hebrew. He, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and a Jew of the Jews. He, he did everything right. He knew, he, he memorized, he likely, you know, in that day and that time, memorized all of, all of the Old Testament. He, he would, he'd be able to quote it verse by verse. So how did this man... Saul become a Christian. You know, in fact, Saul's first response to this Jesus stuff, Jesus being Lord, Messiah, risen one, was not PTL, all right? It wasn't praise the Lord. Uh, It wasn't Jesus as Lord, but rather heresy, blasphemy, lies. He He probably believed that, much like I did actually before I came to Christ, that Christians were kind of uneducated, foolish, and deceivers, deceivers. More than that, he actually believed that Christianity was dangerous, was incredibly dangerous. It was dangerous of wooing Jewish believers into the way, as what they called it in that day. But one day while he was on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute some more Christians, in fact, uh, Luke records actually in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 3, it says this, 
It says, suddenly, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light uh, from heaven suddenly shone down on him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And he goes in the city, he meets a man. His eyes are blind from this encounter. Uh, the, the, his, the man prays for him, his eyes are open, and he realizes that in that moment, something has changed and transformed in his life, so much so that he actually ends up changing his name. Saul, following this encounter, is so overcome by his experience with Jesus, not Jesus incarnate in the flesh, walking among us, doing miracles, the one who was born in major. He, he ascended, right? Well, it was the same Jesus, but he ascended into heaven. And this Jesus that Paul has an encounter with is actually the risen Jesus who goes and approaches uh, Paul, at this point Saul, and calls him out. And Saul became Paul. This is absolutely crazy. Saul becoming Paul and converting to Christianity is the equivalent of Richard Dawkins, okay, coming to Christ today. Or the leader of ISIS coming to faith. This is unthinkable. This is crazy talk. Saul was the guy. He was the poster boy. He was the face of Judaism in that day and that time. He was, one, he was one of the most notable, educated. Uh, he studied under the greatest minds. And he has this encounter with Jesus and has a transformation. We can't just let that pass us by. That, that a man like that, in that experience that he had, was so transformational that he, in fact, changed his very name and his calling. The unthinkable vessel becomes not only a tool that God uses, but but he actually changes the world. He becomes an apostle. Apostle means a sent one. By the will of God, he's actually authorized and chosen by God to speak on his behalf. Paul, the persecutor, the terrorist, becomes an apostle. Unthinkable. Saul to Paul, accuser to apostle. From the sword to the pen. From free citizen of Rome to imprisoned by Rome. From murderer to martyr at the end of his life. Something changed that day on the road to Damascus. And, and it changed absolutely everything. And he, he, this, this person of Jesus began to permeate all of his thoughts, all of his thinking, all of his theology. Everything was viewed through the lens of Jesus. Every part of his life, everything that we believe. And what you'll notice in Paul's letters is this, is that the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, it permeates absolutely everything in our existence. And we see this in this book, the book of Ephesians. He writes, to the saints who are in Ephesus, to God's holy people who are in Ephesus. Let me talk to you a little bit about Ephesus. Uh, you know, Ephesus it, in the ancient world, it currently resides in our current world within the country of Turkey. This was not just a mythical place. Some people think the Bible is just kind of a made-up mythical book with a bunch of nice stories uh, to tell us about, I don't know, good morals and things like that. No, it's written about real people in real places in a real time. And, the, and Ephesians is a real place in Turkey. It's not just, you know, some, some made-up idea. In fact, I've been there. I got to go in 2015 
to Turkey, I got to tour many of the seven churches that are found within Revelation, Colossae, Laodicea, Sardis, right, and Ephesus, Pergamum as well. And, and so you can actually see Ephesus in this picture. This is the library in Ephesus. There's an Aust uh, Austrian university group that has been reconstructing the ruins of the ancient city of Ephesus for over 100 years. It's one of the most well put together ancient cities that you can view today. If you go to Turkey, you must see it. Uh, this is the, the ancient theater that meets within, that's within this place. It, it could seat 24,000 people. Uh, Ephesus in that day, in that time, uh, it was actually around 250,000, not too much smaller than the Tri-Cities. It was considered the leading city uh, in the richest region of the Roman Empire. It served as a political capital for the province of Asia Minor. Being a port city, it was actually built near uh, an ocean port. Uh, it, it's really the equivalent of, of being a city like Vancouver or maybe even Port Moody for that reason. Uh, it, it was the equivalent of a city set up on Highway 1. It wasn't just a port city, but the major Roman roads went through this city. And so it was a centralized location full of diversity of every ethnicity, opinion, religion, and politics. There were many alternative readings of reality. People saying, hey, look at the diamond this way. Or, hey, how about you look at the diamond this way. Or actually, this is what it's all about. And Paul, into this context, he says, you know, I, Paul, an apostle chosen by God to the people who are in Ephesus. He begins to speak these words, this letter over them. Uh, as I said, this was a, a center for athletics. It was a center for learning. Highly educated city with universities and libraries, but it was also a sinful city. In fact, that library that you saw in that picture, there was an underground tunnel that led to a nearby brothel. It was a sinful city. It was a broken city, much like our city. It was a religiously diverse city with the worship of the god of Artemis at the very center. The, in fact, the whole city revolved around the temple and the temple of Artemis. Uh, Artemis, this false goddess, was called the wife of Ephesus, the protectress and nourisher of the city. Ephesus was the center for the dark arts and magical practices. Some modern-day Hogwarts, right? <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> the city was obsessed, some, some historians say, with demons and magic. And, uh, and this is why Paul, through his letters, often speaks to how Jesus defeats the principalities and powers. It was the center for the imperial cult, the worship of Caesar, who was a man, but he was the emperor of Rome. And they actually, they built a, and constructed a, another temple dedicated to Caesar Augustus, who they called the Son of God. The God who brought unity and order to the world, is what they called him. His birthday was called the beginning of good tidings to the world. The word good tidings is the same word, evangelion, good news. It is the, it says, this was the good news to the world. And so the birth and the reign of Caesar Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the cosmos, they, they said. But what if actually in Jesus, Paul is actually combating this and saying, no, Jesus is the son of God. No, Jesus is the one who brings good news. No, Jesus is the one who brings peace and order to, to not just a region, but to the entire universe. Maybe the people in Ephesus who came to faith in Jesus, they'd have a new understanding for what gospel is, a different 
glad tidings. They'll have a new understanding of power and authority and unity and relationship and time because of this person of Jesus. Ephesus was an incredible city and culture. And Paul, he had a soft spot for this city. Paul, in fact, spent two and a half years of his life amongst these people, teaching them about Jesus, showing them, uh, showing them what it meant to follow him. And so as Paul's writing this letter, he's writing a letter to dear friends. It was written by Paul, we, we know, from a prison cell. And it was actually a circular letter. Here's what I mean by circular letter. It was written to a network of churches that met within the city of Ephesus. There was a church uh, that's, that John the Apostle actually is buried. And I actually got to go and stand over top of John the Apostle's grave in Ephesus, which is crazy. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really cool built church. It was built in, in the shape of a cross. It was built to a network of churches within that region. It was also, though, written to other churches in Asia Meyer, to Laodicea, Colossae, Philadelphia, Heropolis, all these, these nearby cities. And because it was a circular letter, one may argue that it doesn't actually just address like specific issues or specific problems to that church, but it actually is not just a letter to that church, but to the church in all of time and all of history. Meaning it just as easily could be addressed like this. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Port Moody. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the circular nature of this letter, it, it could just as easily be addressed to us. And in fact, I pray and I hope that we would actually take that posture throughout this series that these are not just words written to somebody in some other time in some other city, but this is actually words written to us, to our church, as we form this new community. This book speaks to many themes. I want to highlight three of them. Three of them that we're actually going to hit throughout our time. And if you go through this book, you're actually going to see there's three major sections. The first is this, you are. How Jesus changes your identity. How Jesus actually changes and transforms and gives you a new identity. The third section is actually found, and it's under B. And it talks about how our new identity, our new identity actually changes our activity. Our new identity changes our activity. I found it. <laughs> right? And then the third theme that we're going to spend some time in here. And it falls under this idea of spirit-filled and it speaks to how Jesus affects all of our relationships, how the Spirit of God actually transforms our relationships uh, between spouse, spouses, between children and parents, between employees and employers. It changes the way that we treat one another. These are the three th themes that are found within this book. Really who we are in Christ, how we live in Christ, and how we are called to relate in Christ how we're called to relate in Christ. And so over the next few months, we're going to explore these themes. We're going to go verse by verse by verse and see how this reality in Christ changes our identity and changes our activity and changes our relationships. Paul, and I want to end on this note. So he has this opening greeting. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, chosen by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus. When reading this opening greeting, it would be so easy for us to just pass over these words. 
God's holy people in Ephesus, of course. It sounds like a very religious kind of book, right? It's, oh, yes, the holy people. But here's the thing. Are we holy people? Were they holy people? Did they have it all together? Holy is a word that we pretty much only use for God, right? Another translation says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Saints? More like sinners, right? I, like, honestly, if you read that greeting to the sinners who are in Ephesus, that seems a little bit more fitting. Especially if we're going to address this to Port Moody, let's be honest, right? All right to, to the sinners who are in Port Moody, right? Grace and peace to you, right? Something has happened. Something has changed about these people. Something has transformed. These people certainly weren't saints or perfect. They had all the challenges and temptations as our city does. These people struggle as you and I do with sin. So what happened? What changed? You see, for those who place their faith in Jesus, there's a transformation that takes place in your identity in the unseen worlds. There is a transformation that took place in the eyes of God as he beholds and he looks at you. He does not see your sin any longer. He does not see your brokenness. He does not see your yesterday. It says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions. Transgressions are when we willingly cross the line from us. It's a, another psalm describes that our sins are put to the very bottom of the deepest ocean where no one can find them or see them. The gospel, Paul realizes, the gospel has transformed the identity of a people that they were no longer identified by their past. They were no longer identified by their, their history. They were no longer seen and identified by their brokenness, by their sin, by their mistakes. Something has happened. Something has transformed. They are now God's holy people. They are saints, not sinners. They are saints in Jesus Christ. How is this possible? It's because of the gospel. And like I said, everything for Paul is shaped and looked at through the lens, through the diamond of the gospel. It changes absolutely everything. Why is this possible, friends? Because grace and peace has been given to you from the God and Father of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. There's something contextually that's happening here. In the Roman world, there was often an expression where they would say, grace to you, grace to you. In the Jewish world, they would often say the word as a greeting, shalom, which meant peace. Paul is now proclaiming to them and to us that this gospel, this good news, is both to the Roman world and to the Jewish world. It's for everybody. And not just that, guys, grace is unmerited. It is undeserved. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Nobody, nobody could earn their way to God. You can never build a tower too high. They tried that in Babylon. They failed. We cannot make it to God on our own through our good works. Some of you are sweating with just trying so, so hard 
to just, oh gosh, I just got to earn it. I got to deserve it. God, I, I want you to love me. I want you to see me. I want you to know that I'm, I'm following you. You're sweating. You're, you, you're, you're trying so hard. Some of you are concerned about your status with God because of your past. Some of you right now have been trying to earn it and deserve it. And Paul is saying to us and to you guys, grace and peace to you. Grace, unmerited, undeserved, it's, it's, it's grace, it's a free gift. And peace, shalom, peace from God. We are no longer at war with God. We are no longer, we, we have no longer upset God if we are in Christ Jesus. But there is absolute peace and reconciliation between us and God. Because of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the grace and the peace that comes from our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been radically transformed and our reality will never, ever be the same. And so I want, there's some people in this room, I know it. You know why? Because I'm one <laughs> who need to hear this right now. Grace has been given to you. Peace has been given to you. You are, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are right with God. You are not identified by your past. You can take off those labels and throw them in the trash. Because in Christ Jesus, we have a new identity. Saints. Holy. Perfect. Set apart. Deeply loved. This is what the gospel does for us. And Paul knew it. Paul knew it. And it transformed everything. It transformed everything. I'm going to invite up the band. I'm going to pray to conclude. And then we're going to move into a communion moment. And Eve is going to come up and lead us in that moment. But would you with me right now? I want to just lead us in a little bit of a prayer moment in light of what we've heard. our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come before you right now as the church in Port Moody. So grateful for these opening words from Paul. They seem so simple and it would have been so easy for us to miss. But God, you have given us incredible grace and you've given us incredible favor. And you have declared peace when there should have been war. Some of us in this room desperately need to hear this, not just in our minds right now, but in our hearts. That we are forgiven. That we are renewed. That you no longer identify us by the things that we have done and said. You've given us a new identity. Lord, I think back to Daryl's words. If any church in any time, in any city, were to live out these words, it would transform a city. I pray right now in this moment you would start by transforming us. Transforming our hearts and our minds. So that we could actually walk 
as God's holy people and as God's saints, that we could actually walk with a confidence that doesn't come from anything that we have done, but exclusively, exclusively because of what you have done. God, would you help us to do this this week? And then would that begin to transform our city? Because as people look at us, God, and they see our lives, they wouldn't see anything necessarily extraordinary about it, but just someone who just was like so secure, someone who was so just at peace, someone who was so gracious, that would begin to transform our relationship with our spouse or our neighbor or our friend or our colleagues. And that foundational truth would begin to change our city. So help us to believe this today, God. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the rail city campus of CA Church.